Merry Christmas. We are now in the midst of the 12 days of Christmas. Many folks believe that Christmas is the finale, but we in the church know that Christmas is just the beginning. December 25th is the beginning of our Christmas season. Today is the first Sunday after Christmas. Apparently my partridge in a pear tree is in shipping somewhere. That's all right, I can wait. Uh, the first day of the 12 days of Christmas is today. Christmas has just begun. As the world packs away the lights and the garland and the, the presents and the mess sometimes, we find ourselves still singing Christmas carols. I've told you that one of my favorite Christmas songs is How Many Kings. We sang it, I think, twice during Advent because I really like it a lot. How Many Kings is my favorite because it reminds us of the sacrifice that Jesus made in coming to be with us. The song asks the question, how many kings would give up their thrones? How many kings would leave their homes, abandon their homes? How many greats would become the least for me? The song is a reminder to me of the value that God sees in each one of us. We are so valuable to God that Jesus would come to walk with us, live with us, and die for us. How many kings would do that? All for me and all for you. The song reminds me that the birth of Jesus, the Christmas story, is our birth as well. It's the beginning of our redemption stories. Jesus' life began with a sacrifice of leaving glory to become man, to live as we live. Jesus' life ends with the sacrifice that offers us salvation so that we can live eternally as he lives. You have a, anybody have a favorite Christmas carol? Mom, what's your favorite Christmas carol? Grandma got run over by a reindeer, she says. Seriously? Joy to the world? All right, anybody? John, you have a favorite? Oh, come all you faithful. That's right. Anybody else? Hark the herald angels sing. I love it. Molly? Wow, there's, like, you don't hear that one a lot. That's amazing, and I don't think we've sang that. Okay, we're going to put it on the list. Huh? Hey, I'm sensing a solo. Did anyone else hear that? Amen. <laughs> Anybody else? Hillary, you have a favorite? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, that's an Advent song for sure. Who else? Anybody else? Ari, you have a favorite Christmas song right now? Is there one you've been playing a lot at home? I already know. Where are you, Christmas? Why can't I find you? Why have you gone away? Is that your favorite, Aerie, right now? Your mom says you've been playing it. For those of you that don't know that song, it's from the Grinch movie. And it, Faith Hill did it for the movie, Where Are You Christmas? And it talks about, Jocelyn, you have one? What's that? What is it? I can't hear you. Last Christmas. I don't think I know that one. 
Oh, goodness. Like, who sings that? Like Mariah Carey or something? Taylor Swift. Wow. The crowd has turned. Sis, why we don't do audience participation? Sandy, what child is this? Those are all really good ones, including last Christmas. I'm like, I'm a fan, no matter what. Mary, did you know that's David's favorite? Anybody else? Before I get yelled at again? All right. Where Are You Christmas is a song from the Grinch movie, and I wonder if it's the song that the Who's wanted to sing when they woke up on Christmas morning and realized that Christmas had been stolen. Where are you Christmas? Why can't I find you? Where's my stuff? Huh? Where's my presents? The things of Christmas had been stolen, but they didn't sing Where Are You Christmas because they knew that Christmas truly had not been stolen. The things of Christmas were gone, but the spirit of Christmas had never been taken. To the Grinch's surprise and very dramatic dismay, Christmas came anyway. Now for the final note in my symphony of downright nasty, not niceness, the crescendo of my odious opus. <laughs> wailing and the gnashing of teeth, the bellowing of the bitterly bombed out. It'll be like music to my ears. <laughs> then the Grinch heard a sound rising over the snow. It started in low, then it started to grow. But the sound wasn't sad. Why, this sounded merry. But it was merry. Very. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. <laughs> he hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it just the same. <laughs> Mr. Grinch! And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas. He thought. Doesn't come from a star. Maybe Christmas, perhaps. Means a little bit more. Oh! Ah! Ow! Ow! 
What happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. As the song filled the air, the Grinch began to experience the pain of change. His chest ached and he gasped for air at the new feelings that he was experiencing. It was all very dramatic. The Grinch, in his new feelings, experiences the trueness of Christmas. He finally realizes that Christmas isn't contained in all the stuff that he had put in his sled and drug all the way up to the top of Mount Crumpet. And his plan to dump all of the things of Christmas from the top of the mountain won't help him heal from what is hurting him. But understanding the trueness of Christmas is what brings him healing. With that healing and with that understanding comes the realization that the Grinch had been wrong all along. He had been wrong about what Christmas meant. He had been wrong about the Who's. He had been wrong about so many things. The Grinch thought that the Who's were selfish and self-centered, only interested in the materialism of Christmas, the things, the commercialization, not the true meaning, the spirit of the season. But as the music floats up the side of Mount Crumpet, he hears them continue to celebrate Christmas in the midst of the absence of all that he thought Christmas was. The Grinch was wrong. He had made a mistake. He had misunderstood. It's easy to see him as the bad guy. Well, he was the bad guy. He stole Christmas. But consider for a moment, have you ever misunderstood someone else? Have you ever made assumptions about someone? Have you decided that you knew their motive or their understanding, have you ever acted like the Grinch? Have you ever taken action based on your wrong understanding? Of course you have, we all have. The Grinch was handicapped by his too small heart. But in honesty, haven't we all had a heart that did not seek to see the good in people? Haven't we all had a heart that was so sure that we were right that when we found out how wrong we were, we could act like the Grinch? Oh, it hurts. We experience the pain of the realization of our wrongness, that our heart and our minds need to grow. The Grinch needed to experience all these new feelings no matter how painful it was. Have you ever done that? I have. But here's something I don't want you to miss, because it's easy to, to kind of tie it up in a pretty Christmas bow. Oh, he was wrong. This was a good series, Pastor. Good job. It is a good series. You're right. Thanks. But we need to pay attention to what the Grinch does with his awareness of his wrongness. What does he do when he realizes the wrongness of his assumptions? What does he do when he realizes that his too small heart lacked understanding and empathy? You would hope that he would push that giant sled right down Mount Crumpet and make right what had been taken, make right what had been wrong. That is what the Grinch does in Dr. Seuss's original writing. 
He races back down the mountain with his stolen Christmas loot and he returns everything to its rightful owner. He immediately remedies his wrongs. He doesn't let a moment pass before he lets the realization of his new understanding change his actions. Have you done that? The moment you realize you were wrong, have you changed, apologized, made right what was wrong? The Grinch doesn't hide away in Mount Crumpet with his new understanding fresh on his mind, trying to process these new feelings that he has. He doesn't keep his newly grown heart to himself, promising that someday I'll talk to them. He makes changes immediately based on his now strangely warmed heart. He repents. He changes his grinchy ways. He does a 180, moves in a new direction. Isn't that what we're supposed to do, church? Isn't that what Jesus calls us to do when he says to repent? Isn't that what scripture tells us over and over and over again? Second Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal, the, heal their land. First John, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. Acts 3, repent and then turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Proverbs 28, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Matthew 3, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Luke 15, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Some folks thought this was a silly series about the Grinch. But God can and will use anything for God's glory, even the story of the Grinch. We see in the Grinch's story the story of a sorry sinner who repented and was changed and then changed the world around him. I don't know if Dr. Seuss's original intention was to tell this deeply biblical story, but that is what we hear when we read. And I wonder, as a sorry sinner myself, I wonder what the Grinch was thinking as he headed down Mount Crumpet with all of their stolen things. I wonder if he worried that the Who's would be angry. I wonder if he worried that they would not forgive his heinous act of stealing Christmas. I wonder what he thought was going to happen when he hit the bottom of that mountain and he repented. If he did wonder, he didn't let that stop him. It didn't stop him from taking back all that belonged to the Who's. You know, he could have, and sometimes we're guilty of this, he could have, even in his new understanding, said, well, they didn't need all those things of Christmas anyway. You know, even though my understanding was wrong, I still taught them a valuable lesson because now I know in my new big heart and my bigger brain that I was really right all along. 
right? And so really I taught them a valuable lesson because I took all that stuff and now they know what I know. And end of story, all is well. All is not well. All is not well. He could have said it was all for the better anyway, that they learned their lesson. That, though, would be a different story and probably not one we would talk about this first day of Christmas. If he had been so self-assured and so confident that he had done the right thing, even in all of its wrongness, we would not hold the Grinch's story out as one that speaks to God's intention for us. But the Grinch did what was right. He turned back and he asked for forgiveness. And the story could end there. And God would have a good lesson for us, but it doesn't, does it? Because have you ever had a person come to you in repentance and apologize and your heart is hardened and you say, huh, well, I knew you were wrong all along. That just must be me too. But the Grinch, he was met with forgiveness. And here we find another example in a children's story of biblical living. The Who's, they could have arrested him, put him in Who prison. What do you think that looked like? Who prison? Who jail? I don't know. They could have blamed him and banished him back to his lonely life on Mount Crumpet, never to be forgiven, to live a life alone. But once again, in these simple pages of a children's book, we see God's intention for us written. The Grinch was welcomed to their Christmas feast. Not only was he welcomed, he was given a seat of honor. Not only was he given a seat of honor, he was given the job, the prestigious job of carving the roast beast. That song, that story have a familiar ring to it? He did something terrible, and when he came back, they threw a party. We hear this story in Luke. He arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, but he lives again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. And the heavens rejoice in the presence of God at the repentance of one sinner. We can't understand grace. That story can't make sense to us. In our too small heart, our too small understanding, we can't make that make sense. When you do something wrong and return and repent, that you're offered forgiveness and mercy. The story of the Grinch and the story of the prodigal and so many other stories show us the merciful love and forgiveness of God. The Who's didn't have to forgive, or maybe they understood that they did. Because in their forgiveness, they lived out Ephesians 4, where it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. 
The Grinch's story is a meaningful example of repentance and change and mercy and forgiveness and inclusion. And isn't that the story of Christmas? Isn't that the story of Jesus? That we sorry sinners will have a place at the table, a seat of honor beside the Savior that we don't deserve, that we didn't earn, that we couldn't obtain for ourselves. But through the grace and mercy of God, we can come and say, Lord, I, I don't even deserve to stand before you as your child. And he will say, oh, let's party. Amen? Amen.